Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osband, here with my friend, Chavrita Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Yevamot, daf Kuf, page 100. That we're really almost done with this Masachet in a little bit over three weeks. Um, I'm actually going to start with a brisa that we talked a little bit about yesterday at the bottom of um, Sadi Dalit of 99, which talks about how people actually receive their truma. So we learned at Abraisa, Asara in Cholkin Lahem Truma, Bebet Hagranot. So there are 10 people who we do not actually give Truma to, you know, at the granary. So these are people who are entitled to eat Truma, but they um, don't actually receive Truma sort of at the spot where the Truma is actually separated out. The Eluhain, and who are they? Cheresh, right? A, a deaf mute. We've talked about what that category is before. Um, uh, shota, uh, 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 you know, a person with maybe who has have some type of mental breakdown, the katan, a minor, tumtum bandragonus, a tumtum and androgynous, right, which are two different uh, halachic categories. A tumtum is a person who we learned before his genitalia is covered by some type of membrane, so you can't tell what their gender is. And an androgynous is a hermaphrodite, has both male and female, uh, uh, both male and female parts. Baha'eved, uh, a slave of a Kohen, Paisha, a woman, right? We, and here what we're talking specifically about is probably uh, the wife of a Kohen. Baha'arel, an uncircumcised Kohen, which the Gemara will later on explain, is a Kohen who wasn't allowed to be circumcised because maybe there was somebody in the family, uh, like they, they had two older brothers who died because of circumcision. Baha'tame, a Kohen who became Tame. Baha'nosei or a Kohen who marries a woman who he was not supposed to marry. So these are all different categories of people who sort of can't get uh, their, their truma uh, in, in a different way. So for example, um, like a, a katan, right, is we don't, um, yes, he can eat truma, but he sort of doesn't get the truma in the way that he should until he actually uh, uh, hits, you know, hits puberty and becomes an adult. Uh, but we can send Truma out to all of them in their actual, uh, into their actual homes. Uh, except for somebody who's Tame. And again, the Gemara is going to explain that that's because there's somebody who uh, sort of, you know, it's, it, it's not entirely their fault, but yeah, it's sort of a temporary uh, thing and, and they're not allowed to eat the, the Truma at all. Right. And somebody who marries a woman that he shouldn't have married, the Gemara will explain that a little bit more uh, also. Um, and, you know, the Gemara then goes on to say, So the first three, they understand why, right? Because they're not mentally uh, competent. So we're not going to give it to somebody, sort of, a, a, it's doing this public distribution isn't considered night because they're not mentally competent. Again, we're not going to get it. We've talked about it many times before, you know, this notion, particularly around a chayresh, right? Tumtum bandragnus nami. Also for a tumtum bandragnus, it's just considered to not be so nice. Because they're creatures unto themselves. Eved nami. It's also understandable, the eved, right? Dilma ate lasuke mitruma liyuchuzin. Because somebody might come to elevate him from somebody who's, uh, to someone who gets truma because they're, you know, Yechusim, uh, because of genealogy they get. In other words, the Evid just gets truma because of his relationship to the Kohen, but not because 
he himself actually is a coin. Aral v'tame, right? And then someone who's not circumcised is tame. Mishum demiise, because this is considered to be uh, the language here actually means re- repulsive. But again, because it's they're they're not they don't have the status or sort of there's something about them that it's they're not like a regular uh, kohen. I think it it has something to do with the kedusha of the kohen itself. No right? And somebody who marries a woman who's not who's not suitable for him. Mishum kinsad. This is basically giving him a penalty. But why should a woman, why should the wife of the Kohen not get her truma, you know, at the Goren? And so the Gemara has two possible explanations here. Plagiba, Rapapa, Rapuna, Bereids of Rabbi Yoshua. So Rapapa and Rapuna, uh, the son of Rabbi Yoshua, disagree about this. Chad Amar Mishum Grusha. One said that the reason why the wife of the Kohen is not given is because we're concerned about a divorcee. Right. In other words, a woman who was married to a Kohen, once she gets divorced, she's no longer entitled to eat truma. And she could theoretically just keep going to the granary to get her portion because maybe people aren't aware that she actually was divorced. And one says because of Yichud, because maybe she'll be left alone with the person, uh, the man who's distributing the truma. And that wouldn't be so nice. And I think that's really a sociological reflection of, you know, some of the things that would happen or sort of, you know, how we viewed interactions between uh, men and women. And then they want to know, my Beinahu, what's the difference between the two? Eka Beinahu, Beidari de Makari Blamata, Beloshi When we're talking about a Goran, a granary that's close to the city, but it doesn't have a lot of people here, right? If that's, you know, the, the, we wouldn't be a concern here um, about a divorcee in that kind of case because it would be clear that sort of, you know, everybody in the city would probably be aware that she's divorced, but we would be concerned that it's not a place that frequented by a lot of people. And therefore this woman, the wife and the person who's handing out the truma shouldn't be alone. Nami or what else could be a difference? Then in the case of a granary that's far from the city, but is frequented by people, there would be possible that people wouldn't know necessarily news wouldn't have traveled. Uh, that she was divorced, but we wouldn't be worried about the idea of there being yichud. So I, I wanted to read this Brisa because I, I think it just gives us, you know, we've spent so much time in Yibamos talking about truma. And here's just an interesting piece about like sort of how did people actually get their truma? I mean, until I read this Brisa, this wasn't necessarily a thing that I actually thought about so much. But the idea that you sort of like went to truma was actually separated, right? You would bring the wheat, it would be winnowed, and then it's appropriate to separate the truma. So you would sort of go there and it seems natural that that's where you'd sort of collect your truma. And the idea that sort of some people could not collect their truma publicly because it sort of either didn't reflect nicely on truma or on the kahuna, it's just not something that I ever would have, uh, not something that I ever would have thought of. And I think this final issue about women, um, I think just gives us a lot of sociological information, right? How sort of was news about people's marital status or, you know, change in marital status somehow communicated? Um, and I think also this idea like today, you know, I don't know that this would necessarily be like a maybe in more very, very right wing circles. This would be a consideration that somebody wouldn't go into a shop or something like that because a man and a woman maybe would be left alone. But I think this gets us in a lot of insight into sort of like how society just functioned then, you know, that there was sort of women didn't necessarily go out in public uh, to collect their truma. 
the Gemara is a little bit bothered by it. Like it doesn't necessarily make logical sense, but I think they sort of justify it well sociologically. So I think you said what I was going to say, which is that I, I never really thought about how does anybody collect their truma, you know, as a, as a process, you know, where, where do you go to, to the canteen at camp, right? Like it just, it, I never thought about it. I, I don't know why I would have thought about it either. Um, you know, the same way that I'm not sure that I thought about what, it, you know, there's a lot of daily life stuff that we don't, you know, from a different era that we don't think about unless we come across it. So the fact that there's also ramifications, not just as a logistical procedure, but also the halachas of it, I think is actually very interesting. Um, right. I want to move and, on. And to again, the- it's just one of those things until that's why I read the Bryce up, because it was like until you saw it, you're like. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought about how it actually was done. All right. I think we got a huge mission to tackle now. A huge mission indeed. So we've got a case here. We're going to come back to our, you know, the seven and nine month old babies. The We'll recall that any woman who gets divorced or is widowed is supposed to wait three months after that point of separation um, until she remarries. The idea being, let her determine whether she's pregnant from the previous, from the husband to whom she'd been married, right? If she gets divorced, then it's the previous husband. If she, you know, whatever. The point is that she needs to know, is she pregnant or is she not pregnant? Nowadays, there's a lot, you could determine this with a lot you know, technology a lot faster, but they just waited to see, was she going to be pregnant? And what if she doesn't wait those three months? So she doesn't wait the three months and then she remarries and then she has a baby, right? And now you don't know, she doesn't know. If this baby is a nine month baby from the first husband, meaning let's say the kid is born somewhere at the seven month mark, is it a seven month baby from the new husband? Right now, again, nowadays, I think we would know the difference between a seven month baby and a nine-month baby, at least nearly always, because of development and so on. But the question in the in the system or the schema of the way Chazal conceived of pregnancy and birth is a really good question, right? She, and now they don't, you don't know, she has no paternity of this child. So, and then what happens if she has, is it the, the mission goes on to say, um, she has sons or children from the first husband and also now from the second. And then, so what happens is the, I'm sorry, she has sons that are certainly from the first husband and sons that are certainly from the second husband. And then that that same son who was the first one to be born upon the second marriage, right? That's the, the tricky one where we're not sure who his father is. Um, and then that son dies, meaning it grows up, gets married, dies without having had children. Now, who's going to be the Avam for him, the bro- the brothers from the first husband, meaning the brothers from his mother's first husband, or the brothers from his mother's second husband, and it gets really messy because the whole way through they're not sure. So they don't do yibum in case that would have been a situation of not a yibum situation. And likewise, he does not do yibum on behalf of either you know brothers from either. Uh, father, and he'll just just do chalitza. Um, this is a it's an interesting case because the question of paternity is very limited 
Meaning, you know, either it's husband one or it's husband two. It's not this open gap of, it, you know, could have been any man type of thing. But that's, of course, where the mission and then later the Gemara is actually going to go. And what happens if he has half brothers from the first husband and half brothers from the second? Meaning, the let's say his mom is the second wife of the husband, let's say, for example, who may or may not, the first husband, who may or may not have been his father, if he was a nine-month baby, let's say, right? Or likewise, right, from the second husband. So the not the he has brothers, half-brothers, who do not have the same mother and have the question of whether they're from the same father. So then again, he'll do chalitza. Um, the question is, does he do chalitza or does he do yibum? And the question, and if he's if he is the half-brother, right, then then he should be a yavam. And if he's not, then then they're then there's no relation and he could just marry them like any, like, you know, any stranger on the street could marry them. So the question is, you know, what happens? Who So at the end of the day, the question, you know, he should be able to do chalitza or yibum. And um, if it were he who had died, right, then the half-brother from the one father would do chalitza and then the one from the other father would do yibum. But again, it's a little bit tricky because there's too much uncertainty about his own father, his own paternity. So this gets even messier, right? What happens if one of these two men who are married to the same woman and this baby of uncertain um, parent of paternity, one is a Yisrael and one is a Kohen. So now you don't know, is he a Kohen or is he not a Kohen? He has to marry a woman who could have married a Kohen, even if it turns out he's not a Kohen. There's no way that it turns out. Even if behind the scenes he truly was not a Kohen, but what if he truly were a Kohen? So then you have to make sure that his spouse, his wife, can be married to Kohen. And he takes on those chumras. They're not chumras. Those string, they're stringencies. I don't mean that they're like, extras, right? Their requirements for Kohen. He takes on the requirements that Kohen cannot become ritually impure. And if, but but he doesn't quite have the same strength of of violation, let's say, if he does wrong. Namely, if he were to become Tame, he doesn't get the lashes because he doesn't get whipped. Because what if he weren't a Kohen? Then so any, you know, if you're not a Kohen, you could become Tame. He doesn't, he's not allowed to eat from truma. But if he does eat from truma, he's not punished in the same way that a regular non-Kohen would have been punished. And specifically in, in paying a fine and and then some. Um, and here, Yordana, here's your Gorin, the issue of the truma. He doesn't get truma at the granary. He can sell the truma from his own stuff. If he's a farmer and he has, or, or has a garden and he has to give truma, he can sell that truma and then keep the money. That's an unusual wrinkle because he's in this status of like, maybe I'm a Kohen and maybe I'm not. He doesn't get to eat the Kodshim, the Karbanot. They, nobody gives him from their Kodshim from their karbanot, but he also 
um, they're not going to take them away. If, if he has property that would be Kajim, they don't say take it from him. Then there's a particulars about what he's, what Yisrael in general would give to Kohanim, different parts of the animal. Um, of non uh, Kachim, he doesn't do that. And his first animal, meaning the first, the same way we have first fruits that we give to Hashem, we have first, the firstborn of the animals. Um, so, you know, you know, in this case, you can't, is is it the firstborn animal of a Kohen or is it the firstborn animal of a non-Kohen? So what they say is, and we've seen this before, you should let that animal graze. You know, just go out into nature until the animal gets a blemish and then it can't be sacrificed because it's got a blemish and you remove the question of whether this animal needed to be a korban or couldn't have been a korban. And this way, basically, the the rule of thumb is that we give him the stringencies of the Kohanim, the limitations of the Kohanim, and also the stringencies or the limitations of the Israel, which means he doesn't, technically, it means he doesn't get the benefits of being a Kohen, but he does have the limitations. Um, okay. So far, so good. We understand the the you know this uh, the the complications that come from this unsurety of of paternity. Now, What happens if both of the fathers, meaning both of the potential fathers, both men that the woman woman was married to, were kohanim, who onin alehem vehem onin alav? So then we say, ah, now we're going to say that just the same way that a kohen would go into mourning for one of his seven relatives. He he does this because again, even if he's a kohen, he still would go into mourning. Who lo? He does the mourning, but he doesn't become ritually impure for the sake of burying them. Um, because what if he's not the relative? Meaning, one of these men was his father. One of these men definitively was not his father. What if he's getting tame? You know, he's rendering him himself impure. For the wrong one. So it's one thing to say he can mourn them. So let him do the mourning. But we're not going to tell a, a Kohen to to uh, to encounter Tuma in the case of uh, an un, the lack of surety, the case of a doubt. Um, he does not inherit from them, meaning, you know, if the, he's, he's the heir, but he's the heir of which one? He can't be the heir of both, right? And the heirs of uh, any other siblings would come and, you know, have a good case against him. And they, who, they presumably would be anybody who would be his heir, would inherit from him, meaning that it would go, um, siblings or whatever could split any inheritance from him if he doesn't have any children. Um it sounds a little bit funny because he would in, he would inherit from them, but they would not inherit from him. Well, one of them at least is dead, so it can't be right. That's not what it means. It has to mean the rest of the family. Um, he's exempt from any any capital punishment, right? If he would if he would hit his father, if he would hit the man, right? Strike him, right? Meaning the makay ishimo. There are psukim that say there are verses that say a person cannot hit his parent, um, and if one does, then one is liable capital punishment. And he, this man, this this, you know, the child who is born of uncertain paternity, 
can hit the man he knows to have raised him as his father with some measure of impunity because what if the other guy with his father? So then in this case, he's he's hitting just a random person, not the one who's actually his father, and he does not um, incur that that penalty against him. Really, one who curses his father or mother or hits them is supposed to get the death penalty, um, but he can't be held culpable for that. So he can go to the, remember, both of these men now in this case are Kohanim. He can go up to do the Avoda with either watch, meaning the, the, the priestly watch of either one of the men. Um, and he does the Avoda with them, but he does not get a share. Um, he doesn't get his share of the Korbanot because it's not clear which watch is he really part of. It's, it feels like a, you know, kind of a, this in-between status leaves him with, um, I don't know, uh, like he's on the outs. You know, he doesn't, he can't really be part of any one group that he's officially possibly part of. But if he in fact was, if they, if both of those men were from the same Mishmar um, of the Kohanim, then he does get a share because he's very certainly obviously part of that watch. Um, and of course, that's it's the same way that, you know, the same way that he's, if both men are Kohanim, then he is a Kohen, right? And it's just not clear who he could become Tame for. And so if they're both from the same watch, then he is certainly from that watch. The Gemara brings a very strange case, and I don't want to read it in the interest of time, but we should just note that there's a whole question of there are apparently, um, I guess I'll read a tiny bit of it. I'll tell you the case outside. There's 10 Kohanim. And it becomes clear that one of them, who they don't identify who it is, they can't identify who it is, he leaves the group, he sleeps with a woman, she gives birth, and then the child, according to this piece of the Gemara, and the Gemara goes on to talk about it further, but um, is considered a shuki, a shuki meaning, um, I guess, one who is silenced. But the idea is that where the, the paternity is not known and can't be known, and the question then is, the Gemara here says that this person, this un- person of unknown paternity, cannot be, um, is not considered a Kohen. He can't be part of the Kohuna. And we, you, Yerdan, and I, have uh, this question because, you know, it seems that if all 10 of these men are Kohanim, then he certainly, the kid, is born a Kohen, right? Meaning it has to be because they're all Kohanim. And Yerdan, I think you posited that the factor of this is not a case of a marriage and um, not just not waiting long enough between you know the death of the first or divorce and the, and the marriage to the second. In this case, we're talking about really a case of uh, promiscuity, whatever, right? There's no uh, marital relation between this Kohen who sleeps with this woman who then has this child. So the, quote, uncertain parentage here, even though we know for a fact that it's a Kohen, um, the the displeasure at the behavior of the Kohen seems to override the paternity of the child, which, or the kahuna of the child, which is disturbing in and of itself. But I want to, I'm holding that question in abeyance because I'm, I'm giving you the case just as it appears right after this Mishnah. And it makes sense. It's, it's the extreme example of the kind of case that has appeared in the Mishnah. But on the other hand, we're not continuing in the daf because we're out of time. So, uh, you know, I'll just close with this, that I, you know, I think in today's world, it's kind of like, almost like a piece of cute information. Are you Israel? Are you a Levi? Are you Cohen? And I think what I've come to appreciate throughout Masachet Yibamot is 
at a different time and place, this had like real halakhic implication. I don't want to say that it doesn't today because there are Kohan who have issues around dating and divorced women. It does pop, you know, it does come up. But the amount of time that's spent on it, it just, you get the sense that this, these questions of like what category you were in as part of the Jewish people, I don't know, seem to take up a lot more halakhic space than it does for us today in a day-to-day way. Again, if there's a particular person who's had an issue with this about, you know, wanting to date or marry a particular person, I'm sure it took up a lot of space. <laughs> but it, it, there's so much time spent to it in Yavamos. It, it, it's pretty amazing to me. So for me, I think that this is a matter of fleshing out all the details. I don't think that it was necessarily any more on their minds, a little bit more on their minds, because obviously, now I don't mean Chazal, I mean, you know, predating Chazal in the time of the Beit HaMikdash, when they had Truma, when they had Karbanot to eat. Sure, then I think that there was more, pra- there was more practical implications and people needed to pay attention to, you know, all of the dotting the I's and crossing the T's uh, in a very careful way. But I think by the time of Chazal, I think, A, we've talked about this before, that there's a certain yearning back to the time when all of these laws were in effect. And we see that, you know, every time they talk about the Kohanim, which they do perpetually, I think that's part of what's going on. And I think part of it is, as we've said also throughout Yevamot, that they're that they're checking all of the different parameters and that's this is how the parameters are fleshed out right the moment you talk about a woman who has two husbands let's say i mean you know first and second you have to worry about who the paternity of the child is well where do we get ramifications for that the main ramifications are whom does the child mourn you know whom does the child inherit but it gets more tricky if you're talking then about the kuna so let's talk about that right as opposed to it being like a oh yes this case came before the court well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Barber for hosting us on the Hodge website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Time on Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.